0: Good morning. Good morning. It is great to see you this morning. And I'm so thankful for our worship team uh, leading us in that time of worship today. And uh, just thankful for all that God is doing among us. I don't know about you, but if you've been with us for the last three weeks, the beginning of this year, uh, it feels like God is doing something new in our worship gatherings. And I've heard a number of you mention it to me. And you say to me, Well, Pastor Brian, what are you doing differently? And we had our our Belmont staff meeting on Tuesday afternoon this week, and we said, what are we doing differently? And we're like, "Uh, nothing. Like, we don't know what we're doing differently. It's just that it seems like God's presence is showing up in a real and powerful way in our gatherings. And so I'm just grateful for that. Just pray that it will continue and that God will continue to move among us. But as we start, as we get into God's word this morning, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, or you've been with us since the start of the year, you know, we're talking about what does it look like to find God's will in your life? And specifically, what does it look like to find out God's will for your life this year? I promise you, God has something for you. He doesn't just have something for the pastors and the missionaries. He has something for you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, to be doing and active in. And so how do you figure that out? How do you figure that out? And we are doing this and talking about, you know, if you've been around for a while at Mount Hope, we get together in January and we go back to the basics. If you play a sport, you're going to go back to the fundamentals of that sport. Uh, fairly regularly. If you are a musician, you're going to go back to the same scales and the same uh, uh, activities, exercises that you've always done as you play your instrument or as you warm up to sing because it's good to get back to those things. And every January, we try to get back to some of the fundamentals of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And we have these these sayings that we say every single year. We talked about the first two already, and the first one goes something like this. We say that God's word is true. And so at Mount Hope, we don't change the Bible to fit our lives. We allow our lives to be changed by God's word, by the Bible. And last week we talked about prayer and we said this, prayer is powerful and effective. Therefore, prayer is our first priority and not our last resort. I mean, that's what we're, we're offering the option to do here on Sunday mornings when our worship team says you can come forward and pray, lay things down. We believe that that's powerful and effective, that God meets us in those spaces. And so we try and take advantage of those. And so this week, we're going to talk about what it means to live generously because we think that as we, we don't think, as you read God's word, that's an important thing to be able to live generously. And this is what we say we say that out of God's generosity to us, we are genera- generous to others. We've actually changed that phrase a little bit since last year. That out of God's generosity to us, we are generous to others. And I can understand, you're, you sit there this morning and you come in, you make all this effort to, to come to church on a Sunday morning and the pastor gets up and you're like, you gotta be kidding me, it's the money week. I can't believe that this is the week I decided to show up. I hate the money week. I don't like it when ministries and pastors talk about money. But here's the, here's the truth. God's word, and especially Jesus, who talks about money more than any other topic, if you just go word by word, makes it very clear that there is a direct correlation between how we handle financial and material resources and the state of our hearts. This is a direct connection and you can't get away from it. Direct connection between the health of our relationship with God and the health of how we see and handle material things. And so we talk about this, not because I have some special campaign going or because we're going to make some big ask at the end of this sermon, but we don't really care about necessarily your money, but we do care about your hearts as your pastors. So we have got to talk about this because we're going to live healthy lives with the Lord and following Jesus. We've got to figure this piece out. And we're going to talk about what does it look like to, out of God's generosity to us, be generous to others. Here's one thing that I I feel like I I feel when I think about being generous, and I wonder if you feel it too. Uh, Being generous and living a generous life, if I'm just going to be honest with you, it can be exhausting, can't it? Living it, trying to be generous to everybody all the time is exhausting. And I think there was a day. I don't know, I I feel like there was a day where you knew the needs of your neighbors and you knew the needs of your immediate family, but the needs of people outside this tiny little radius where you lived, you had no idea what was going on. You didn't know what was happening around the world. You didn't know what was happening even in other states. If you were in the U.S., you didn't know what was happening in other towns. You didn't know your neighbor's needs, and you knew the needs of the people right around you. And so you could live generously, and you could say, oh, my, my neighbor needs sugar. I can give them sugar. My neighbor's out of milk. I'll, I'll share what milk I have. That there was a time when people lived like that. I don't know about you, but today I feel like I know a lot less about what my neighbors need and I know everything about what everyone else needs. That there's this overwhelming uh, sense that that we have that we know of every single need that's out there. And the problem is if you try to take care of every need that's out there, the only thing you're gonna end up is broke and burnt out, right? There are an endless number of, of charitable causes, all of them good, many of them good, that you could support. There's an endless number of ministries out there that you could support. There are, there are uh, health concerns that people are raising awareness for. There's all sorts of things. And then there's the immediate needs of the people around you all on top of that. And you go to work, and there's causes that you can give to. And you come to church, and there's causes you can give to. And you go in your town, and there's causes that you can give to. And there's no lack of knowledge around what people need in our world today. And so it, it's impossible to take care of it all there's no way that you could live your life as a generous person and try to meet all of these needs. In fact, there's even a term for people that try to do this. They pour out themselves so much that they get to the point that it's, it's different than burnout. They call it compassion fatigue. And you hear a lot about it in the medical professions that you're spending so much time, or if you're, if you're caring long-term for a family member in your home, you spend so much time pouring out yourself for the needs of others that you get to this point that there's nothing left to give. In fact, your heart becomes hardened to needs. And it can refer to people in the medical profession. It can refer to, to someone giving long-term care to another person. But that term, compassion fatigue, can also refer to the, being overwhelmed by the amount of asks and donations so that you do nothing. And here's the challenge that you and I have as followers of Jesus Christ. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, we have this tension that we deal with in our lives. We're supposed to live generously. And yet, if we are over generous, we know we're going to get to a place where we're just tired and worn out and fatigued and burnt out. And all of our material resources are finite. They have some sort of limit to them. So we have to be careful then uh, how we steward that and to steward it well. So what then do you do when there seems to be an endless amount of need, and we're supposed to be generous people? And there's always someone out there that has an opinion with how you're living compared to the needs that are available. What do you do? Well, to answer this question today, we're going to look at the lives of some people that, that had a number of encounters with Jesus. And I think that they were fundamentally changed through those encounters— We're going to look at three separate moments that that these people, siblings, interacted with Jesus, and we're going to look at how their attitude towards generosity changed, and very specifically, when we talk about what is God's specific will for your life, what is God calling you to do, I think that there's a, a, a huge application here when it comes to generosity, and so we'll talk about all of that. The siblings that we're going to talk about today, there are three of them, two sisters and a brother. And if you've been around church for a while and you've read the New Testament, my guess is you've come across these people before. But we're going to talk about siblings, and one was named Martha. And Martha had a sister named uh, Mary, and Martha and Mary have a brother uh, named Lazarus. You know, there's multiple times in the Gospels, in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are, we call those the Gospels. Those are the books that talk about Jesus's life and ministry on this earth. There's multiple times in those books that we see uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus interacting with Jesus. And something happens, something shifts between encounter number one and encounter number three. Has a lot to do with encounter number two. And it's the same kind of shift when it comes to generosity that needs to happen in your heart and my heart when we encounter Jesus. So I think there's a lot to learn here about what it is that we're supposed to do and how we're to live. Not becoming burnt out, not becoming broke, but still living very generous lives. So here's the first encounter, and we read it in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 38. This is what happens. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care then my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. My guess is if you if you've spent uh, you know, some time in, in, the, in church or in the Bible, this is a story that you've, you've heard before. And maybe to some of you, it's a brand new story. But you can picture it. Jesus travels into this town, and he's offered a meal at this house, and Jesus wasn't traveling alone, so there was a group of people that needed to be taken care of, and if you were going to be a good host and welcome people into your home, of course, you'd want to provide food, and it's not like uh, Martha and Mary were following Jesus's Twitter feed and could see that he was on the way. This is a surprise, right? They walk in, uh, to town, and now they need a meal. And so it's, it's a little bit of a last minute effort, probably, for, for Martha to pull all this together. She's trying to serve all these people, and there her sister is just sitting there listening to Jesus's teaching. She's frazzled and frustrated. Some of you are like that, right? You know this at work. You go into work, you go into your family, and you're the one that gets things done. And it just drives you nuts when everyone else is like enjoying coffee and having a nice conversation. And you're like, but there's so much work to do. You know what this is like. Uh, I think I identify with Martha here. And Jesus says, well, Mary's chosen what's better. But here's the thing that I feel like um, I start to learn as I look at the next encounter with Jesus. That Martha and Mary start with this proximity to Jesus. And you and I start with proximity to Jesus, many of us. I mean, just being here in a church service, there's a certain proximity to Jesus and his teachings. And one of the things I learned in Scripture, and we're going to see in this story, is that to live generously toward others, if you really want to do that, and you want to do it on a consistent basis, you have to first experience God's generosity to you. If you really want to live a generous life towards others and be able to do that well, not get burnt out, not get tired, not get fatigued. You, you first have to really understand and experience God's generosity toward you. And what we're about to see in the life of Martha and Mary is that just because you're in close proximity with Jesus, and even if you're Mary sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching, that doesn't mean you've actually experienced his generosity to you. Hearing Jesus's teaching trying to grasp it cognitively and understand who he is is different than actually experiencing his generosity. I know that in my own life. I mean, my family was at church a lot. I had proximity to Jesus growing up. But it wasn't until I was in church for 16, 17 years that I began to experience God's generosity to me. And I can't wonder, I, I just can't help but wonder if there's people in the room that you have proximity to Jesus. Like You're great serving when things are happening at church, and you're, you're great sitting down and listening to the teaching, but you've actually never experienced God's generosity to you in the way that we're going to talk about here in a moment. And I want to let you know, if you really want to live out this generous lifestyle that God calls us to, you can't do it unless you first experience God's generosity to you. And for Mary and Martha, it wouldn't be until a little later that they would begin to understand this. And it's in John chapter 11. And we read in John chapter 11, in verse 1, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister, Martha. And it's a little bit confusing how it's written, but they're all three siblings. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. More on that in a moment. Whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And now here's, this is the line that, uh, it really gets me every time I read it. Listen to this, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So out of that love, right, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. I mean, can you imagine that being the response? And the scripture says that he does it out of love to them. He stays two days longer. I don't know about you, but when I live, I live uh, halfway across the country from my family, many of you live around the world from your family that are sitting in this room right now. If I heard that someone was sick and, and had very little time left, I'm getting there as soon as I can because I love them and I want to see them or we're hopping on FaceTime or something. But Jesus, out of love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, stayed where he was for two days. And what's the result of that? Well, let's keep going and take a look. In verse 17, we read this, if you skip down with me. Now, when Jesus arrived... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. The funeral services in the bereavement period, the grieving period would have taken days. And so even though it's four days after Lazarus has been buried, still the gathering is large there as they console Mary and Martha. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. I mean, think about that. Why wouldn't Mary come running? I bet she's upset, disappointed. And Martha expresses that disappointment. She said, Lord, if you had been here, (laughs) my brother wouldn't have died. We sent you word a few days ago. It's funny that even though they had Jesus in their home, even though they were around him in close proximity, they weren't fully grasping who Jesus was and is. They knew he could teach, they knew he could heal. But Jesus is more than just a teacher and a healer. And Martha says this, she tries to have faith, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, yeah, I, I know. I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Right? basically, your brother will rise again, Martha. Yeah, I know this turns out fine in the end. I know it's happily ever after in heaven, Jesus. And look what Jesus says to Martha. He says, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. And she gives that declaration. Now look down in verse 32, because Mary finally comes out of the house. And when she comes to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, I'm so glad that you're here because you're about to make everything right. That's not what she says. Jesus, what's the deal? We sent word days ago. You didn't show up. And if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, listen, after all of this stuff about I'm the resurrection and the life, and I believe it, you are the Christ, the Son of God, Martha still doesn't get it. Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha goes, whoa, whoa, it's been four days. Remember how He didn't show up? So Lord, by this time, there's going to be an odor because he's been dead for many days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may also believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. It was a whole nother level of experience with Jesus as the resurrection and life that Martha and Mary had. It was one thing to welcome Jesus into their home, to serve him and his his, uh, fellow travelers. It was one thing to sit at his feet, but they still didn't fully grasp who Jesus was and why he was here. And you can see it in their response if you had only been here, our brother would have lived. And Jesus says, roll away the stone. And they say, whoa, whoa, let's not do that. It's going to smell terrible. And Jesus says, don't you understand? I didn't just come to teach and do some miracles. I came to bring life from death. And if you're going to live a generous life, you first have to understand God's generosity to you. And there's no doubt in my mind that there are people sitting here in the room today and watching it online at home. And you have been around Jesus Christ, but you have never truly experienced His generosity to you. Because at the root, at the core of the gospel, this is not about, I used to be sad and now I'm happy. I used to have no purpose, and now I live my life with purpose. I used to be really needy, and now I just feel satisfied. That's not the root of the gospel. The root of the gospel is I was dead in my sin, dead apart from Jesus Christ, and now I am alive in Christ. And Jesus says to to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And some of you in the room, you know what it's like to try to follow Jesus to gain happiness, and you know what it's try to f- like to follow Jesus so that life goes well for you. It's almost like Jesus is this life hack that if you spend a few minutes uh, praying and if you spend a few minutes around him, then life will be better, easier than if you don't do those things. But what you've never experienced is the truth of God's generosity to you in that in the midst of your sin, he sent his son to die on the cross and be raised again, not just that, that you might be happy, but that you might have life and life to the full, and life eternal. And once you experience that, everything shifts and everything changes. This is not some religion that we do and we try to be nice to people and we try to keep all of the rules so that we get a gold sticker when we die. This is new life in Christ. And when you try to go out there and meet the needs of other people and be generous on your own, when I try to do that, it's like we're running on battery power. And we go back and we try to get recharged our batteries. We rest, we read, we do whatever uh, recharges us. Some of us like to be with people, some of us like to be alone. We do all the things that recharge us. Then we go out and we try to be generous again. But when you experience God's generosity to you, it's like you're plugged in to the power source and you can go and do what God calls you to do. Now, how does this change? Mary and Martha. It's another this one's, this one's a shorter story, but it shows the change. The difference between the first time they have Jesus in their home and the second time they have Jesus in their home. 6 days before the Passover. Let me say the first time that they served Jesus and the second time they served Jesus because there's all sorts of talk about which home they're actually in. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This is chapter 12, the next chapter. So they gave a dinner for him there. Look, look who's serving. Martha served. And what an amazing line. Lazarus was one of those reclining with Jesus at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray Jesus said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor, you will always have with you. But you do not always have me. And here's what I feel like I learned from this last story. And here's where I think when we talk about God's will for you this year, you want to live generously, be the kind of person God calls you to be. I think this is a really important piece to understand. That what you're supposed to do is once you experience God's generosity, use what God's given you to do what you should do, even though there's a lot of other things you could do. Once you experience God's generosity, use what God's given you to do what you should do, even though there are many other things that you could do. And let me tell you what I mean by that. We've been looking at this Venn diagram over the last few weeks and saying that what God wants you to do with your life is somewhere at the center of your gifting, a burden that God gives you, listening to God's voice primarily through his word, and the opportunities that are right in front of you. And I see, I think in this story with Mary and Martha here at the end, we see these kinds of things coming together. Now that they've experienced God's generosity, they begin using what God has given them, the gifting that they have. Martha's gifted to serve. And I got to tell you, I know it's, it's tough to make an argument for silence, from silence. But it's really interesting to me. That in this passage, all we hear about Martha is that she served. No wondering why no one else was helping. No frustration with her sister, Mary. She just used her gifting to meet the need in front of her. And Mary... Took this jar of expensive perfume. So Judas Iscariot says it's worth about 300 denarii. That's about a year's wage. So imagine spending an entire year's worth of wages on one bottle of perfume. I was listening to one uh, preacher this week who said um, it was likely kept either for um, a dowry payment when a wedding was going to happen or for that person's burial. And so Mary is taking something that is meant for, I mean, these momentous occasions. Something very expensive. And we find Mary at Jesus' feet again. But this time not just taking, but this time worshiping. By breaking this bottle of perfume and anointing Jesus' feet. And it really strikes me that so often, I think when we come to this idea of being generous, we say, well, yeah, I'd be generous if I had more. The problem is I would, I would be generous, but I, it's really the job of the rich people to handle a lot of that because I don't have those sorts of resources. And if I don't have those resources, how am I supposed to be the one that's generous even when I, I can't really make it month to month? But here's the thing I see in Martha and Mary. They didn't go out and do something unusual. They used what they already had been given. And I would push back and I would say to you, I bet there's something that God's already given to you, whether it's in your giftings or ability, or there's some material thing that you have, that if God's calling you to be generous, uh, what's stopping you is your inability and your unwillingness to use the thing that God's already given you to be generous. And we hedge that by saying, well, if God gave me something new. But here Mary has something of great value and she knows this is the moment. It is a specific burden. There'll always be other things you could do. Judas Iscariot says it. Well, there's there's so many poor people. Why would we waste this here? And Jesus says back to him, There will be time for that. There will always be needy people. But I'm only here for a moment. This is what I've put in front of Mary. And she's doing the right thing. Whenever you go and you try to be generous in the burden that God has given you, there will always be people around you who will tell you you should be doing something different. I have never, ever gone on a short-term missions trip internationally where (laughs) someone— I see Scott nodding his head here. He knows what I'm going to say. Where someone hasn't said to me, why in the world are you spending all that money going to that place when we have needy people here? Every single time. And church people. Well, I know we have needy people here, but God called us to go here and have this experience. That's the burden he put on our heart. So don't apologize if God's gifted you and given you a burden to go and do something. Go and do that thing. Because there'll always be people that have a comment. And God's voice in this passage affirms what Mary's doing. She's doing the right thing. And by the way, Judas's motivations are not pure. He could care less about the poor. He likes to dip his hand into the money bag. And the people that question you probably don't have pure motives either when you're doing what God's called you to do. Now, I'll say if a brother or sister in Christ is giving you wise counsel, that's different. But if God has gifted you and given you a burden and opened up the doors of opportunity, you need to go and do that. And I see Martha and Mary here having experienced God's generosity to them, now having clarity when Jesus is in their midst, that they, are, that they are open to serve and to worship Him in that way and to give generously in this moment. And I wonder where it is in your life that God's calling you to do this. I just had a, a recent experience, in fact, it's ongoing, where I feel like God made this clear in, in my life. My brother-in-law is a pastor. Oh, Siri wants to jump in here. My brother-in-law is a pastor in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, he called me up not too long ago. And he said, hey, I have a friend named Daniel who lives in, in rural Missouri. And Daniel is, he grew up in China and he was a pastor in China. And now he's in the US and he has a ministry working with, with missionaries, um, actually Chinese missionaries. And he said, you know, Daniel is an academic and he's, he does a great job with all these things, but he could use some help Uh, he could use some help just with his pitch to churches, for lack of a better word. He's got to go, we have missionaries in the room, you know how it is. You go in, you got to, you know, sell the church that you're a good missionary to support. And he he just needs, the work is awesome, but he just needs some help with that. Would you be willing to to talk to him? So I met Daniel on Zoom and I said, you know, you go into a meeting like that and you, you say to yourself, okay, my time is limited and my ability to help is limited. And there are many, many, people doing amazing things in ministry, and I would love to do whatever I could to help them all. But you can't. It would leave me broke and burnt out. And so I said, okay, I I don't know what I can do here, but I hopped on the Zoom call, and I met Daniel, and he started talking about his ministry. And I don't know, something in my heart started to stir, because it is amazing what he's doing. I'm not going to get into all of that uh, right now. But the work that he's doing in his, in his heart for, for um, his people and what God is doing is just a, an amazing thing. And in the middle of the call, you, you know, I'm saying to myself, okay, God, is this, should I invest time here? Should I invest resources here? Is, is this someone I should go deep with? And he says, oh, this is my daughter in the back of the Zoom call in rural Missouri, who I met from my brother-in-law in Des Moines. And I said, oh, hey, how you doing? His daughter was sitting in the bed. She lives near Boston. I said, oh, she does, yeah, she lives in Malden. Oh, that's great, Well, it's, that's nice to meet you. She went to school up here and now she works in, the, in Boston. That's, and she was home, uh, it was Christmas time. She was home at Christmas uh, to be with her family. And uh, Daniel said, and you know what she told me? One of her roommates goes to your church. Now, I mean, look around, I, I, the room is full but we're not that many people, right? And I was like, well, I wonder if I'll know who this person is. And I, I said, she does? She said, yeah, she's, my roommate is uh, is named Aradia. And I know Aradia is not here this morning, I don't think. I see Aradia here this morning. She was here last week, but she's very involved in our 20s and 30s ministry. By the way, if you're in your 20s or 30s, you should be involved in the well. And so uh, um, and so I said, I said, wow, that's, so you're, daughter is roommates with Aradia, and I said, I actually think our 20s and 30s-year-old th- uh, Christmas party was at your daughter's house, like, last week, and, the, and his daughter was like, oh, yeah, they were there, and I called up Andrew, and I'm like, Andrew, did you have your Christmas party at this girl's house, and she was, like, her dad lives in, is a missionary and lives in Missouri, he's like, I don't know, but there was a girl sitting on the front step traveling home to Missouri, and I met her as I walked into the house for the Christmas party, and I can't ignore this loop, And then Daniel's like, oh, and by the way, Gordon Conwell invited me to come up for six months. And so I'm living at Gordon Conwell the first six months of 2023 as like a missionary in residence to help them work on their missiology programs. And I'm like, that's it. We're going deep with Daniel, right? But you know what that means? I can't go deep with everybody can't go deep with a lot of other missionaries, can't go deep with a lot of other pastors, but I'm going deep with Daniel. Why? Because I feel like God's given me a gifting to help people in their public communication. God has given me a burden for Daniel and his work. God spoke to me through what looks like a giant coincidence, but I don't think is a coincidence at all. And God gave me the opportunity by bringing Daniel up here. We met at Panera Bread in Linfield just a couple weeks ago. We're meeting again next week. And that's how it works. And I'm telling you, in your life, there's something like that where you don't have to to meet everybody's needs, but God's calling you to be very, very generous in a particular situation. And when you're plugged into God's generosity and then God reveals this to you and you go all in, you will never be broken burnout. I'm looking at Sylvia right in front of me who started Sylvia's Haven and has had over a thousand uh, women and children come through that home and is still going strong in her 90s. Not broken, burnt out, but going strong. I was talking to Karen Meany uh, this week. Karen said to me, she said, hey, you're going to get an email. Uh, you get, give me a reference for this program that I found. And uh, it's, it's called CASA, and it's Court Appointed Special Advocate. Court Appointed Special Advocate. And I said, well, what, what is this? And she, she sent me some information And and what it is, is that children that are coming out of really difficult backgrounds or that are involved in the middle of a custody battle, um, they get a court appointed specialty advocate. It's a volunteer position, but the job of that person is to walk with the child through this very difficult situation. It can take a year up to five years to do this role. And I said, Karen, how did you hear about this? She said, well, I was reading the paper our local town paper in New Hampshire. And there was this thing about need for CASA volunteers. And then every time I turned on the radio, every time I turned on the radio, I kept hearing about this thing. And then she said, one week uh, we decided not to drive all the way down from New Hampshire to Belmont to attend church, which I don't approve of, all right? I don't know what's going on there. But she said, we went to this, no, this, fine. She went, to, we went to this little church down the street from our house, small congregation. And they were, they were featuring like a ministry opportunity of the month. And the ministry opportunity of the month was to be a CASA volunteer. So she's like, I signed up. She's like, I got it, God. And she said, I look at my childhood. And some of you have heard parts of Karen's story. I look at my childhood and what God has brought me through. And I just have a very specific burden for these children. And God's given me this opportunity. And he spoke to me over and over again. That's what it looks like. It's not about going out and giving up a cup of coffee a day so that you can meet every last need on the face of this earth. You'd have to drink like 80,000 cups of coffee a day to be able to make that happen. It's about, saying, it's about experiencing God's lavish generosity to you through his son. And then paying attention to what God's doing. Where he's calling you, how he's speaking to you. And I, I, I'm not going to do it, but even as I look through the congregation, I see people that are involved in, in homeless ministry and refugee work, college ministry. There's people all over the room that are involved in different things. And you're involved in things that we don't even know about. You're doing exactly what God's called you to do. So if you're gonna live generously this year, don't do it on your own strength. Experience God's generosity to you. And out of that generosity, use what God's given you Don't lament the fact that other people have more. Use what God's already given you to do what you should do. Even though there'll always be a bunch of stuff that you could do. If you will live in that place, that is a powerful place to live. And you will see God work in your life in amazing ways. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward as we close our time together this morning. And if you would bow your head and close your eyes with me, I just, would you think about this for a moment? There's some of you in this room today that the best way you could respond to this message is by experiencing for the very first time God's generosity to you through Jesus Christ. That though we are sinners, and though we are dead in and of ourselves, that God sent His Son, Jesus to do what we could not do and to live perfectly. To take our penalty and shame and sin on the cross. To be raised from the dead to prove that God has power even over death and darkness. And that this morning, even if you feel like you don't fully understand all of that at this moment, To pray and embrace that. Tell God that you want him to be Lord of your life. To experience that great generosity would be the best and most important thing you could do. And for the rest of us sitting here, You know, many of us have experienced the generosity that comes through Jesus Christ, but we don't go out and live the generous life that God calls us to. We shut it down because there's just too many needy people, too many needs. This morning, I'm challenging you to find where God's calling you to go deep, not to spread yourself wide and thin and get all fatigued and burnt out but to figure out where God is giving you a unique burden, where he's gifted you, where he's opening up the doors of opportunity, where he's speaking to you so that you can go deep with a few and live generously for his glory. So God, we lay all these things at your feet and pray that you would by your Holy Spirit reveal your will to us. That as we seek you and encounter you, God, we would be changed by you. And I pray for those in this room that need to experience you for the first time. God, I pray that they would know the generosity that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that they would begin to experience what it looks like to lay our lives down, to die to ourselves, and to find life in you. And for those of us who are looking, God, where you're calling us, what you're asking us to do, Lord, help us to unapologetically hear your voice and to unapologetically go deep into those areas where you're calling us to be generous for your glory. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's close out our time together.